Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2015 Annual Missions Conference. This is the evening service of Thursday the 28th of May 2015, entitled The Heart of a Miser or a Heart for Missions. And the Bible readings are taken from Mark chapter 16 verses 13 to 15 and Luke chapter 12 verses 15 to 34. Here's Pastor Stuart Harvey. Well, it is good to be back here tonight at Bethel Free Baptist Church in Ward End. As you all know, my wife and I grew up not too far from this area. We're familiar with this area and we thank God that he took us out of this area. No, I'm kidding. I felt that when we got back in the rush hour traffic tonight, I can tell you, we rush hour in Exeter last about 15 minutes. Um, but no, it is pretty busy down there, but it is good to be here. And I really appreciate the, the invitation to come uh, and open your missions conference this year. It is a, it is a blessed privilege. And uh, as Brother Larry was praying about liberty in the pulpit, I, I, I want to tell you, I do feel so comfortable among you all in this pulpit. God has given me liberty to preach here before. Pray that that will never run to license where I start preaching what the Lord wouldn't have me to preach. But we do feel we're among friends old and maybe some new. And most of you, I think, here know us. But it is good to be here tonight. I'm excited for your missions conference. And we're so disappointed that we can't actually be here for all of it because of our ministry commitments, uh, particularly for our youth ministry down there. I would love to come and hear uh, the brother who's Mo, brother Moan who's speaking uh, tomorrow, I dearly would love to hear and meet him because we are greatly concerned uh, down in Exeter now. We have a growing Muslim population down there and we are so, my heart is so burdened to, to become better at, at reaching uh, the Muslim population because we really truly want to see them one to Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, we've got a head start on the game down there. We don't have the size of the Muslim population as you do here in the Midlands and if we, if we get smart and get busy about serving the Lord, we get our hearts right, I believe there's something we can do down there. So please do give that your utmost attention. You're uniquely placed here in Birmingham. You already now have a church in the heart of a great missions, missions area. You know, many people are trying to plant churches in areas like this and finding difficulty. You guys are already here. We are praying for you. We pray for your pastor and his wife. We pray for you all down there. We mention this ministry frequently from some of the things that Brother Larry said to us. So, so you are on our hearts down there in Exeter. We are, we are praying for you and we do appreciate your prayers for us. I, I hope you all know it's your pastor's wife's birthday today. It's Sister Jane's birthday. Uh, if you didn't know that, do wish her a happy birthday before she goes. What a wonderful birthday present. Brother Larry said he wasn't going to spend any money this year. He was going to ask me to come and preach and say that was a birthday present that, that just could not be repeated, I think you said, brother, wasn't it? If you would this evening, take a moment, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, if you would. And then also, as you turn in there, just for, just for, uh, just a reference, if you would, when you found Luke chapter 12, if you'd go to, uh, Mark chapter 16 as well, of course, a very familiar passage of scripture, but I'd like to just, just speak a, a few moments by way of introduction on Mark chapter 16 and then come to the substance of the text in Luke chapter 12 this evening. Chapter 12 of Luke, not really a common missions passage and I'm really praying that I have discerned the Lord's leading right in what he's given me to preach here this evening. Uh, but if you would mark chapter 16 and verse 15, I just want to 
read a, a couple of verses and then some introductory thoughts to set the theme for the passage this evening, if you will. Mark 16, of course, we often use at missions conferences or the call to missions, the challenge to missions, uh, and we link that with Matthew 28, the great commission that we have from the Lord Jesus Christ in this matter of world missions. I believe the theme is mobilization. Is it mobilization for missions? Getting mobilized for missions? Um, and this is important. But I, I think something is important way beyond being mobilized for missions. Many people talk about having a missions-minded church or a missions-minded congregation. Can I say I believe it goes beyond that to be missions-hearted? If we're missions-hearted, the missions-mind and the missions-mobilization comes out of our heart. Everything is about our heart, isn't it? It really is so much. But Mark 16 and verse, uh, in fact, we'll start, if you will, from verse, verse 13. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. This is regarding the resurrection and the appearance, resurrected appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. There, there's the Lord talking about our hearts again. Because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So the Lord really opens up our commission for missions, the call for missions to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But he references that many of the problems that we have as believers stem from our heart. It is a problem. This heart of ours, it's, it's, it's wicked, isn't it? It's a wicked heart. And we, we need to understand that. Now, it isn't my intention to come here tonight in the middle of the week. You guys are, uh, are coming from work, coming from college, coming from school, coming from homes. In the middle of the week, you're worn out, you're tired. And it is not my intention to stand here as the fount of all knowledge on missions, try and guilt you into doing more for missions. I am an Englishman in England. I am like the Gadarene demoniac, if you will. The Lord clothed me and put me in my right mind. I tried to get in the boat with him and he said, just go to your own people and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. So listen, I'm not going to stand before you tonight and try and say, I know all there is to know about world missions and mobilization for missions. I'm not trying to guilt you into parting with your money, guilt you into to, to parting with your time. I'm going to talk about the heart tonight a little bit. And some mistakes that I think we can probably all make. And I pray the Lord will just help us get our hearts right tonight with this matter of missions. That we may be able to then encompass everything else for the rest of this conference and on and beyond. So that God can use our hearts to reach in lost souls. And we can go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Whether some of you in here tonight may surrender onwards to go onto the mission field yourself. Or the support of those who have surrendered and gone where you can't go. Both are valuable. Both are essential in this day and age. One is not worth more than the other. God will use each and every one of us in the way that he deems fit. They say, don't they? The best ability is availability. And all I'm saying tonight is uh, I want to speak about having our hearts available for missions and keeping our hearts focused on making some of the common mistakes that we can make, particularly as believers who live in the Western world world. There is, a, there is a, a difficulty, if you will, that afflicts us, I think, um, because of the wealth that we have living in the Western world. And I know tonight you may say, uh, Brother Stuart, you're talking about wealth. I'm, I'm broke. 
And I understand there's all sorts of different situations in here tonight. And I was talking with Brother Gareth just before about his time at the Bible College. And he's probably thinking, if I had two pennies in my pocket, I'd feel like a rich man. Can I tell you, we're, we're rich. We are rich in this country. We've got clothes on our back and, and food in our belly. And we always need to keep that in mind. And we shouldn't feel guilty for that. But we need to make sure that our heart doesn't go astray because of it. Now, I'm not going to come here tonight and, and, and say, this is the model for mobilization for missions, and we've all got to come and be clones of each other and, uh, and get on the field. It's, if everybody's thinking the same, nobody's thinking at all. And it's a terrible thing if we all just try to be clones. If, you know, we, it's, it's possible you know, that we can get into this thought process where we can say, well, I enjoy looking at your missionary board again. I do every time I come and we share some of the same missionaries. But there is a danger sometimes that when we talk about missions and missionaries, we can go, well, they're the missionaries. You know, and this is what you've got to be like to be a missionary and we're the rest. It would be a terrible thing if we were all clones. It does remind me of the story of the molecular biologist he was such a successful scientist, he got busier and busier and busier, and he struggled to meet the demands that were required of his time. So he thought, well, I'll use my skills to, to help me out. So he used his DNA, and he cloned himself. And this clone was a perfect replica of him. It looked like him. It smelt like him. It was exact in every feature except down to his temperament. This molecular biologist had a nice, calm, gentle temperament, was a well-spoken and polite man. And this clone, although it looked like him in absolute perfection, was a filthy-mouthed, obscene, violently spoken person. So this got to be a bit of a problem for the molecular biologist. He created a clone that looked like him, but in actual fact was nothing like him. And it was embarrassing him. It was causing problems for him. And he just didn't know what to do about it. So one day he thought, I've got to do something about this. And he planned a trip up the mountain. And they walked up the mountain together and he wasn't enjoying the trip at all. So he stood out onto the edge of the cliff with his clone next to him. And he, he thought, I'm going to have one last chance to try and change my clone's attitude and, and vocal expletives to sound like me. And, and he looked at the clone and he looked at the sunset and he said, isn't that the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen? And the clone looked at him and said, what a blankety, blanketing, wasted time, blankety, blanking, useless, tramping up this mountain, blankety, blanking. And he couldn't even get the sentence finished. And the molecular biologist pushed him over the edge of the cliff down to his death. Thought, that's it. I'm done with this. I can't take any more of that. And he came down from the mountain. Fortunately, the body was discovered and the police came and arrested him. And you'll never, never believe him, what they charged him with, making an obscene clone fall. So... <laughs> You've got to think about that one for a minute. What, what point has that got to missions tonight? What I'm saying is we're all individuals. There isn't a mould that fits the missionary. If you've met enough missionaries, you know they're all different. They're all unique. We're all different. We're all unique. And God can use us as different, as unique as we are if our heart is right. So would you turn to Luke chapter 12, please? And we'll try and fathom out how we can go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and how God can use each and every one of us. Uh, sorry, I don't want Luke chapter 12. I think I want Mark chapter 12. Hang on, let me see. I'm sure I want Luke chapter 12. I think I've written it down in my notes. Luke chapter 12. I've written it wrong in my notes. I knew it was right. For a minute there, I thought I'd made a mistake, and I knew that couldn't be me. Luke chapter 12. I've got to stop my wife writing my sermons for me. 
And we'll pick it up at verse uh, 15, Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. And we'll read down to the end of verse 34 because there's a point I want to make there at the end. Luke chapter 12. Please follow along with me as I read from verse 15. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, the he of the verse. And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is the least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, and they toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that, knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. May God be pleased to bless the, the reading of these words to our hearts tonight. May we just take a moment and pray again before we look through God's word together. Our Heavenly Father, oh God, we do thank you and we praise you for your goodness to us for your graciousness to us. God, we are so undeserving, yet we are so expecting. And Father, even so, you love us and care for us. Lord, help us tonight to realize, Father God, so oftentimes we have trouble with our heart. We have heart trouble. And Lord, as we gather tonight at the start of this missions conference, we ask that you direct our minds, our thoughts, our focus, but most of all our hearts to this matter of how to reach a lost and dying world. Both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost part of the world. Father, many times we have a heart to do something and don't know what to do. And we pray, God, if we'll give you our heart, you will show us how you will use us in this matter. Father, you have, you have deigned to use us. God, we are your plan A. And God, that frightens us. 
But Father, we know that with Christ we're more than conquerors and through Christ we have the victory. And now, Father, we know that you work all things together for the good, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And Father, I pray tonight you'd find a people gathered because of our desire together to serve our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ in this matter of, of reaching a lost and dying world. How may we go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Lord, we may sit tonight and think it's, it's not even realistic. But our Heavenly Father, may we remember the world was turned upside down by 12 committed, indi- well, 11, one was a devil, committed individuals who just let Christ's power flow through them. Father, your word tells us you've given us the power to be witnesses. May we know that that power is in Christ's spirit, which resides in each and every one of us who are saved tonight, Lord. We pray by your spirit, draw us, lead us, and guide us. By your word, convict us, conform us, challenge us, and change us to be used of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Very often when we talk about this matter of, uh, if you will, I like to use the term evangelism very often, but we talk about missions, but it's just evangelism. But quite often we think of in two different ways. We envisage evangelism as local. That is what we do in our local area and missions as national and international. But can I just say this tonight? It's all evangelism. Because it's always local to somebody. It's always somebody saved, giving the gospel to somebody saved in their neighborhood. We look at it as a massive thing and it does seem like a massive thing. But may I say, God's plan of salvation was just one of duplication and replication. We're to, we're to just tell others the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to assemble together in a local church. And then we're to play a part in sending out others and supporting others who are planting local churches and trying to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in their area. You see, sometimes the prayer letter we receive is from the other side of the world and it seems afar off, but that other side of the world is just some saved people in a local church just like you and me going out and knocking on doors, tracting, speaking in the workplace, sharing with their family. Whatever it is, they're just doing what you're doing on the other side of the world. There is no great mystery to it. So as I've said before this evening, I think it's a matter about the heart. It is the heart. Now it starts with us here in the local church. If our heart here tonight, if our heart here every week at Bethel Free Baptist Church in Warden, if our heart is to evangelize the lost in our Jerusalem, in this area, if God gets our heart for that, then I'm going to tell you the rest will just happen by itself because those of you who are involved in any kind of local evangelism, and I know many of you are, those of you that have a heart for it, not just paying lip service to it, are deeply involved. You love it when those prayer letters come in. I love to read the prayer letters from, from our missionaries. I love to hear what's going on. I never sit there and think, oh, they're doing better than me. Or how did they work? I sit there and I think, praise God, that God would allow us just a little bit, two-bit, rinky-dink church down in Exeter to play a small part in his great plan of global missions. It encourages me. Because you know what? Uh, on Fridays or Saturdays, whichever days of the week it is, you know, we're out there. I'm on the street. I'm just doing nothing special. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get people saved. 
You probably don't know how to get people saved. So all I do is do what I know to do. I'm a little bit thick-skinned and I'll stand out there and preach or sing or hand out a tract, desperately praying that God will bring somebody to me for a conversation. Then when he does, desperately praying that he'll give me the right answers to say. But just because of that, do do, do you know how many people we see saved every week as a result of that? Most of the times, none. But you know what? When I see that prayer letter that comes in from Brother Williams in Honduras, when I get that letter from uh, Brother Kelly and his family in Ireland, when, when we sit down and we read those out, my heart is just with them all the way because I know their struggles and we're praying with them in their struggles and we celebrate their successes. Why? Because we're a part of that ministry the same as you're a part of that ministry. So I believe when God gets our heart right, heart right locally, the mission's plan happens nationally and internationally. It's not a twofold thing. This is the way it should be. What can happen to us, though, as believers in the West? We come together, we gather together in our local churches, and we want instruction from the Bible. We want our Bible study. We all want to get a new note down the side, you know, something that makes us sound really intelligent to somebody else. We do want that. And we should study the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us that, doesn't it? Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It is important to study our Bibles, but it is not the singular soul or even the priority focus of God. We come together to pray at the prayer meeting and we love to do that and we get together and we pray for our needs and the needs of others around the world and in our own local church. But most of all the things that we start to do, particularly in the West, start to become about being involved with ourselves. We start to get an insular focus. I've got some statistics written down here because they do a lot of this stuff in America. Uh, And those of you who are familiar with these American statistics, I can't even say the word, (laughs) put my teeth back in. We'll be familiar with the name of George Barner, who does a lot of the Christian and church-based surveys over there. And he said this, uh, an American survey reports that 89% of church members believe the church's purpose is to take care of my needs and those of my family. Only 11% said the purpose of the church is to win the world for Jesus Christ. That's a damning indictment, isn't it, right there? Now, I'm thankful that we're in England Because we're not as needy as those Americans, are we? No, we're not as needy as those Americans. So I'm sure those statistics wouldn't bear out in Britain, but I think they are going that way, aren't they? We get focused on ourselves. That's our nature. That's a frightening statistic. 11% said the purpose of the church is to win the world for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And you know what, what, what I've so often found? Listen, people have real needs. People have real problems. I have real needs. I have real problems. You have real needs. You have real problems. And we shouldn't be dismissive of those. But every once in a while, you know, when I can get on board with laboring for the Lord, it's a beautiful blessing that God gives me because he allows me to forget about my own problems and my own needs and rejoice in him. David said, encourage yourself in the Lord, didn't he? We do have to do that. And folks, just getting involved with this work of evangelism, getting our hearts right towards the lost, does help us, if only for a season, take our hearts and minds and our focus off our own problems, our own struggles, our own challenges, and it helps us determine to get ourselves right and serve the Lord Jesus Christ again. 
But George Barnard took the survey, he wrote a book called Evangelism That Works, uh, and I'm not recommending that book because I've never read it, I'm just going to give you a quote from it, and I like the quote. It says, most churches have only a small group of people who have a passion for evangelism. Now, we were, as uh, your pastor said, Brother Brother Larry said, we were out in America for three weeks in total. What a blessing it was. And uh, we were very fortunate. My daughter graduated from Bible college. She got married the next week, so we got rid of one. In a few weeks, we're getting rid of number two, Carissa. So, you know, we're we're praising the Lord for that and he's brought good men into their life. But while we were over in in America, there's a high bounty going on the third one, by the way. We're going to... We want to keep her a bit longer, so we're putting a high price on that one, I can tell you. No deals for 20 camels there. But while we were, while we were over there, some of you may be familiar with the Crown College, some of you may be not. It's a ministry under the Temple Baptist Church. Now, that is a huge independent Baptist church. I mean, 3,000, 4,000, I don't know, even want to guess how many people were there, there in the services, but thousands. And then as we traveled, we visited other churches. And I went from a church of three or 4,000 to the following Sunday to a church with 30, 35 people in. And I decided to fathom out what the difference was so that I could have a church with three or 4,000 people in. And do you know what the difference was? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just the way God is working. And do you know what the church of three or 4,000 people finds? That there's still only a smaller group that have got the heart for missions and world evangelism. So it doesn't change when you get a big successful church. In fact, very often if you go by percentages, you find that people in small churches are more faithful to get on board because they're a tightly knit group together. Your hearts get right. So never please think for a moment that mobilizing for missions is about the size of a church. I don't believe that it is. God blesses and God uses wherever you are. But Barner asked three questions to the churches. And these were the three questions that he asked. And he said, um, he said, do people own evangelism as the heartbeat of the ministry? That's the first question. Now, that's an interesting term, the heartbeat of the ministry. I was talking with Brother Peter just before the service this evening. And his dear wife, as you know, he's waiting for, for heart surgery. And praise God, while her heart is beating, there is a hope. And it is important that the heart is beating. But that's the term he used about evangelism being the heartbeat of the church. I read a quote once and I can't remember who said it, but he said this, if a church has stopped being involved with New Testament missions, then it has lost its right to call itself a New Testament church. And I think that's true. The heartbeat, the lifeblood the life essence of every local church is about being involved with evangelism, missions on a local level and on a world level. That is the reason we exist. That is the reason the Lord has left us on this earth drawing breath. It is the, uh, the one command that he gave us to go out and to do. And he gave us a couple of ordinances based around that. But he said this as well, is evangelism deemed the highest priority of the church. Now, when I stand behind the pulpit in our church on a soaking wet Sunday in Devon, I stand here and the water comes through there. Thankfully, it moved because it used to run down over the electrical socket right above me and right next to me. 
But thankfully, another tile must have come off or something, and the water tracks and falls behind me now. And I'm conscious of the fact when I'm standing here on those Sunday, I'm looking up there thinking, I wish we had the money to fix the roof. But it's still not become my priority. God will never allow me to fix that roof. And I can't tell you the times, and I'm sure your pastor has been through the same, where you look at the funds, you look at what's in there. You look at your minibus that's breaking down. We've been through that, brother. I understand that. You look at the work that needs doing around. You look at your own bank account and what the church gives you. And you look at your missions budget and you think, well, maybe we could just take a little bit of that and maybe there's even a little bit of surplus in there and we could rob it from missions to fix the roof because surely God wants us to fix the roof. It's a slippery path. It's a slippery path. I believe this. God only blesses us because of our heartbeat for mission. I believe the Lord blesses this church because of your heartbeat for missions. Is it the highest priority of the church? It should be. Why? Because Jesus Christ said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what we're looking at. And thirdly, I'm still in my introduction, by the way. Don't worry if you're not getting the points of this message. I haven't got to the message yet. I will move fast when we do, though, Brother Larry. Have the people caught a vision for reaching non-believers that gives the church definition, energy, and action. Have the people caught a vision for reaching the lost. That is the vision that gives us unity in the church, isn't it? Because you know what? We can stand here all day in our own church, in someone else's church, as members of the same church. We can argue about doctrine. We can argue about Bible verse. Now, there's some things we hold to as independent Baptist churches. It's pretty much across the board. But we can still keep going down a tick list of agreements until we find a disagreement and then spend all day arguing over that. You see, so our vision is not our doctrine. Our vision is to reach a lost and dying world. you know what? Because every single one of us saved in a local church can surely agree with that. And that will unify us and it will occupy us. And it will give us a vision for the church and for the future. So I want to sum it up and I want to ask you a question tonight. Do you really care about lost people? Do you really care about lost people? Or do you just really hope that somebody else really cares about lost people? Because I hope I'm with the people tonight that really do care about lost people because the command was go, not woe. The command was go, not slow. The command was go. We are not to wait for people to come to us. We are to go to them. Jesus Christ, the Lord, wants us on the offensive and not on the defensive. And can I tell you today, as Christians, it's starting to feel like we're on the defensive. It starts to feel like we're stepping back. We're yielding ground. We're frightened to go on the streets. We're frightened to talk to people. We're frightened to open our mouth in the workplaces, I'm sure, if you're on Christian Concern or, or the Christian Institute or any of the organisations that defend street preachers and people involved in the workplace. You're starting to feel, where is it okay to, to declare my faith and love in the Lord Jesus Christ? The, 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 the declaration of the gospel is almost lost behind some of the current issues today. I want to tell you, every time, Brother Larry, I'm sure you find the same on the street, when I'm trying to talk to people or preach or track on the street, do you know what people keep saying to me that stop for a conversation now? What do you think about homosexuality? That gets asked, not what do I think about Christ, what do I think about sin, what do I think about homosexuality? Now, sometimes we've got to go on the offensive because otherwise we waste time. And by that, I mean just, just don't get into dealing with that. Do you know what I say to people now? I say, you tell me what I think about homosexuality. 
I don't bother engaging with it. Because, because friends, they're trying to trap you, they're trying to waste your time. Let's keep the gospel the main thing when we're on the streets. Let's go on the offensive with the gospel. Let's go on the offensive. Let's not try to be offensive. The gospel itself is enough of an offence. The cross is an offence, but it's important. You see, Christ doesn't want us on the defensive because on the defensive you stand still and you bunker down. Before the Second World War in 1930, the French built the Maginot Line. Some of you a certain age will remember these things. Some of you are probably there. Amen. I know I wasn't, but... The Maginot Line was a defence that was built against German attack. And it was an amazing piece of defensive work. The fortification of the concrete barriers, the concrete bunkers, and the guns that were put in place along that, they thought it was impregnable. The concrete was thicker than anything else. The guns were heavier and bigger than any that were used. And it was considered absolutely safe, absolutely impregnable. But... The builders of the Maginot Line never counted on the Nazi blitzkrieg, lightning strike. They mobilised and they moved fast. And do you know what that great defensive bunker became? A pile of concrete rubble. And it did not stop. Because an army on the move will not be stopped. An army on the go will always take the upper position. My friends, this is not the time to bunker down in our churches. It's not the time to settle down and say, the Lord's return is near, I can see from the sign of the times. It is. But we labour as if it were a thousand more years before he comes back. Don't bunker down, my friends. It won't hold us. If we fortify ourselves in church buildings, we will lose the battle for the hearts, minds and souls of men out there. The heartbeat of missions still involves the same that it always has, a compassionate God, a commanding message, and a commissioned people. That's what we go with. Friends, it's about the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs 26, 23, the Lord says, Give me thy heart. Give me thy heart. Friends, think about the heart tonight as we come to this message. And I promise I won't be long, Brother Larry. As we see this in Luke chapter 12, this is a familiar parable that we hear. And there are four mistakes that this farmer made. And we want to look at that tonight because they demonstrate the difference between the miser's heart and the mission's heart. The difference between the miser's heart and the mission's heart. Firstly, will you look at verse 17 again with me, please, if you would. Now, it is a profitable exercise, and I've done this in my Bible, in this parable, to underline all the eyes that are involved in there. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits, the eyes and mice. Whenever I start reading eyes and mice in the Bible, whenever I start using a lot of eyes and mice, then I can't help but think of Satan in Isaiah 14. I will ascend. I will, I will, I will, I will. The five I wills. Praise God for Ezekiel 28, when God says, I will boot you out of the place and bring you down to dust and ash. But be very, very careful when we start to see a lot of eyes and mys in our life because this man made a, a, a big mistake here and that's the mistake of the heart. And the first point is this, in planning for himself, he forgot his neighbour. In planning for himself, he forgot his neighbour. 
He thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He said, I've got a problem. I've got too much. I've got too much in my life. I don't want it rotting. I don't want it wasting. I don't want it stolen. What am I going to do so that I can hang on to what I've got? Friends, I said tonight we live in the Western world. And we can't apologize for where we live and we can't change where we live, but we have real problems living in the Western world. When you've ever talked with, met with, or been to the places where some of our brethren in the developing nations are, they've got nothing, dirt floors, straw roof, tin roof. And if they've got something and a brother or sister in need needs it, they give it with a smile on their face. Whereas we go, well, I've only got two. I've got one that I'm using, one that's for spare, one for a rainy day. If I get four, then you can have one. It's part of our nature from living in the West because we've bought into our own culture and our own culture, our own media, our own parents and our own planning are telling us, you need this much money for now. You need this much money for when you get married. You need this much money to buy a house. You need this much for a car. You need this much for a college education. You need this much then for start preparing for your pension and for your old age. And we forget about our neighbour because rightfully we're trying to be dutiful to make sure that we cover all the bases because that's what we think that we should do. And until we've got all the bases covered, then we can't think about our neighbour. My friends, we must. We must start to say in the West. We must start to say in Birmingham. We must start to say in Exeter. When is enough? Enough. We must start to remember we have what we have because God gives it to us. We must remember that God says, which of his children will ask for bread and he'll give a stone? We must remember who we serve. We must remember the greatness of our God. We must remember the goodness of our God. And I'm not preaching a a sell everything you have, get into a sackcloth and live in the desert like John the Baptist living in locusts and wild honey. And I'm not preaching that for two reasons, because that is not a command for the church age, first and foremost. The command to us is charge the rich that they be not high-minded, communicating liberally, 1 Timothy chapter 6. But because we live in the Western world, how many people do you want to speak to in the street who are wearing a sackcloth and and a belt around their waist and and the legs of a locust or a a cockroach hanging? You're not going to want to hear it. We must reach the people in our nation. And to start with, it helps if they think we're not as nutty as a fruitcake. But equally so, we must not think that we can only go and reach. We can only go and provide that we can only give once the mortgage is taken care of, once the car's been paid for, once the kids have been through college, once the pension plans started to build up. Can I say to you, my friends, because this farmer made a grave error of his heart. He spent so long planning for himself, he forgot his neighbour. Many people have said to me, or you hear it in conversation, well, you know, when I've just got through paying off this tax bill, when I've just got through paying off this car loan, then, then Pastor, I'm really going to start giving to missions then. No, the time is now, my friend. The time is now. I'm sure your pastor has told you, and I won't even bother to start explaining how many times God has blessed 
faithfulness. How many times when you think, I cannot possibly give to this brother, to this need, or to this sister, or to this missionary, but God has laid it on your heart, and if you're obedient, you say, I'm going to give it anyway, Lord, and I don't know what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, sometime afterwards, the need that you thought you couldn't met, God provided for. Now, I'm not preaching a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel here, but I am saying to you, when God convicts your heart, don't go into a Western planning mode. Friends, we have become too organized for our own good. In planning for himself, he forgot his neighbor. Look at verse 18 with me, if you will. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. My goods. In counting them his goods, he forgot the giver. He counted them his own. He forgot what he had was because of the goodness of God and the generosity of God. How much have we become like that in this day and age in the West, friends? We've worked through school. We've labored to get a job. We've worked hard. God has given us something. We've worked for many years. We've started to accumulate some things. And in counting them mine, my car, my home, my family, my clothes, my bank account, my money, and we say that so often we forget that our God is a gracious God. He's a good God and he's a generous God. And we have what we have because God has given it to us. Now, I understand that that many people today say you can can tell what God's attitude is about money because who he gives it to, okay? Just like Asaph in Psalm 73, he took a little look over the fence there and he saw the wicked were prospering. He said, my feet nearly slipped. Friends, aren't we in danger of that sometimes today living in the West? We take a look not at what we've got, but what our neighbour has got. We start to covet. Paul in Romans chapter 7, interestingly enough, isn't it, when he started to outline the law and he had not known sin but by the law, names the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet. He said, I would not have known lust except for the commandment, thou shalt not covet. And he lifts up that tenth commandment. Friends, it's hard not to covet in this day and age. Media bombards us. We walk down the street and we can't get away from it. We look at our neighbours and we're, we're serving the Lord. We're being faithful. We're giving our tithes. We're giving our offerings. We're giving our faith promise givings to missionary. We're serving God and all of a sudden we need something and we don't have it. And our neighbour, he's not going to church. He's cussing and swearing blind. He's wicked. He's divorced. He's adulterous. He's a drunk. And you know what? His bank account looks like he's overflowing and he's driving a BMW. And all is good in his life. My friends, it's not. Look at the price the wicked pay. The price of a defiled conscience to start with. The price of pain racked in the body through sin and in the mind. The price of eternal separation from our God in a terrible place called hell because their sins remain charged to their account. Can I say to your friends, don't make the mistake of the farmer's heart. Our goods are because God has given them to us. And he'll test us. He'll test us and he'll try us, you know. He'll see what we do with what he has given us to see whether we are faithful to receive more. We need to be like a bucket with a hole in it. That's how we should be as Christians. 
God will fill it and he'll keep on filling it so long as we're letting something out at the bottom. If we put a stopper in, then God says, well, until that empties out a little bit, I can't put any more in there. And what you've got goes stagnant and stale. Friends, in counting them his goods, he forgot the giver and the giver is God. Every good and perfect gift, James chapter 1 verse 7, comes from above, from our Father in heaven. I could tell you tonight, I'm sure we could all sit here tonight and say, well, you know, I could do with this and I need this and I need that and I need the other. But friend, when did you last eat? Is anybody starving in here tonight? If you are, put up your hand. I'll take you and get you a meal as soon as we're finished. If you're starving. Did anybody get to the cupboard and it remained empty day after day after day, week after week after week? Friends, like our Christian brethren in Syria, is your home being exploded? Do you have nowhere to live? Are you fleeing refugee? Now, I'm not trying to make us feel guilty for being in the West. Thank God for the Christian heritage of this country. We are reaping the faithfulness of years that have gone by, but I'm fearful if the Lord tarries for the results of the reaping that we will receive for our sowing. This church, I'm sure, the same as our church building, I should say, was put together, started by, fueled by, and powered by those who gave more than we have ever given and had less than we have ever had. We do need to re-examine our priorities, my friends. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm saying we need to look at our heart. Think about it the next time you stop and buy a Costa and a muffin. Think about it. Couldn't you have just taken a, a cup from home with some coffee in and a rich tea biscuit? I'm not saying don't ever treat yourself. What I'm saying is just don't get into the habit like this world does. Where, well, I deserve this. Isn't that what I say? I deserve a treat. I deserve a drink. I deserve something good. We deserve death and hell is what we deserve. And every good and perfect gift comes from God. If we get our heart right for evangelism, our heart right for missions, every once in a while we'll go, do you know what? I don't need to buy that. Do you know what? I'm going to make some sandwiches to take. And these are just simple, stupid things. But do you realize how much or how little money makes a huge difference on the mission field, particularly to our brethren in the developing nations? Do you understand what difference 10, 20 pound a month can make when you give to missions? You and I can forego the odd cost of coffee or Starbucks or, well, I don't want to have any favoritism, can't we, if we get a missions heartbeat? Because we must stop counting the goods as ours and remember who the giver is. The giver is God. Look at with me verse 19 if you would. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In providing for his body, he forgot his soul. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Can, can I say tonight, some of us, we, we start taking that much care of our body, we forget about the souls of the lost and dying in the world around us. We take a lot of care of our bodies. I took a little too much care of my body in America and my suit is nearly bursting. And, and you know, I, I, I stand there and I felt convicted even going across America. You start getting guilty. Well, I was over there anyway and I didn't want to waste the train tickets and we wanted to experience this. But I get guilty on the road. I'm like, well, we spent, you know, $20 this morning. I could have put that into missions. But you can end up guilting yourself. Don't. God will bless you in many ways if you're faithful to give. 
to world missions. God will allow you to be blessed and he'll take that guilt away because he knows you're doing what you can do when you should do it. But look what he was doing. He, he planned this. He, he, he said, I will say to my soul, so there was much good laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be many. He was planning to enjoy his treasure, pleasure, and leisure. Isn't that what our nation is about? Isn't everybody planning for their retirement? Not that you shouldn't use some wisdom with what God has given you. But haven't we bought into this culture in the West that life doesn't start until you're retired and once you're retired after you've worked hard, you can have a yacht, you can have a boat, you can have a holiday apartment, you can live well, you can eat out, you can dine out, you can go here, there and everywhere, six holidays a year, you've worked hard, live it, love it. It's a lie for a start because it doesn't work out that way. But everybody's planning for tomorrow. Planning for tomorrow. Do you know, I think it's a shocking thing. We live in the West today and we have a sickening geriatric playboy culture. You see all these stupid old men divorced for about the fourth or fifth time, riding around in cars 20-year-olds ought to be riding around in, going to nightclubs, thinking they're one with the dolly birds. It's sickening. I don't know if you can use that word from the pulpit. Scratch it with your brother Larry if you can't. But do you, do you know what I mean? Well, that's the culture we're in now. Easy come, easy go. You know, yeah, listen, it was easy when I was growing up. Old people, you know, those from about 35 onwards. <laughs> I'm in there, brother. But, you know, there was, de- there was simple definitions and people behaved how you expected them to behave when they reached a certain age. But we've bought into this hedonistic culture. Hey, you're only as old as you feel. Now, that may be true to a point. I'm 50 and my body will not work the way it used to. And I feel like I ought to be able to do more than I can, but I can't. I may still feel I could dress a certain way, but guess what? It doesn't look good. But there's a lot of people out there that we were coming through the airport. Was it LA? I think it was LA. And honestly, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit off track, Brother Larry, but I just want to make this point because it's important. It does show a heart. And I'm sitting there next to my wife, you know, we're all tied up. And this, 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 this vision of white, milk bottleness, white, in a miniskirt and a little boob top came tottering through the airport on high heels. And I looked up, you know, cellulite legs and all of that. And this woman was 55, 60 if she was a day. And I was like, somebody passed me a sick bag. I didn't have to worry about averting my eyes like David did. But the point I'm trying to make is, on what planet did she think it was all right to dress like? On the planet we live in now in the West, dress how you feel. Who can be? No, dress like a 60-year-old woman that people can approach and they'll think you might have some wisdom that you can be motherly and kind and demonstrate the benefit of years. Not dress like a 25-year-old nightclub girl. And these men are just the same. And this is what he's saying. When I get to my, I've got much goods. I'm going to take my ease. I'm going to eat, drink and be merry. I'm going to be a drunken old bum. You know, I worked in the prison service for 20 years and the Lord took me out of it again earlier this year. But here's how people go in the prison service. It's, it's a tough job. But you used to say to people, how long have you done? 
And, and the way they'd measure their time, they'd say, I've got, uh, I've got uh, 60 pay packets left. So they got five years left. They were wishing their life away. All they could look towards was the day where they'd finally be free of the curse of the job. The pension would kick in. They could buy a flat in the south of France, sit around, drink beer and die. Eat, drink and be merry. But you know what I found over the years as I saw many of these people retire who were bought into this dream that life's going to start when we retire and if I just put this off and put that off and don't give this and don't do that. So how's your retirement going? Oh, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I just sit around the pub drinking. I'm bored. I wish I was still at work. They spend all their life looking forward to finishing work and all their retirement looking back to wishing they were still at work. My friends... We make a lot of provision for the body, but if we get our heart right towards missions, we will make provision for not only our soul, but for the souls of the lost in this lost and dying world. Don't plan to enjoy your treasure, leisure and pleasure at future day. Enjoy what God gives you now and enjoy it all the more because your heart is given to the lost in this world. And lastly, may I say in verse 20, But God said unto him, Thou fool, This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose soul shall these things be which thou hast provided? In counting on time, he forgot eternity. When we have our hearts set on this time which is finite, we forget eternity. And he said, you'll be a fool. This night I'm going to take your life, God said then whose will those things be? First Timothy 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And it is, isn't it? I've never been as contented since I was saved. I had a lot more things when I was unsaved. Had a good job, good family, motorbike, speedboat, water skiing, moved by the coast, I mean surfboard, I mean everything, wetsuit, racks, and, I mean you couldn't have had more stuff. And before I was saved, you know, it's got to be more to life than this. I didn't have any contentment. Should have done. I had all the world's toys. Wasn't short for a bob or two. But, you know, I was counting on time like everybody else. Well, one day I'll have a bigger boat. One day I'll have a better motorbike. One day I'll have an even bigger house. One day I'll have retirement. One day I'll have a place abroad. One day, one day, one day. And I tell you, my father died when he was 53 years old. I love my dad as far as I know. He was not saved. I pray that he was. I know he went to Sunday school when he was a boy, but... No evidence of salvation as far as I can see, so I have to assume that he's in hell today. But when he was 49 years old, my wife and I were unsaved. Uh, She wasn't my wife then, and we went off travelling around the world for 18 months, bumming around the world, you know, rucksack, VW camper, you know how it works, the deal. Gave up uh, good jobs in London, and that was it. Didn't have to count on time, didn't have to worry about what day of the week it was. And while we were travelling... We would phone home sporadically every once in a while and, you know, I'd talk to my father and, uh, you know, he'd just say things, he wouldn't say too much and then my mother would say things, she'd say something to me like, make, sh- make sure you ring every couple of weeks and I'd say, no, no, I'll ring in a couple of months. You know what you're like when you're young, parents are a nuisance, aren't they? They always want you to keep in touch. You know, we were going to drive up here tonight and my mom said, give me three rings, let, you know, let me know you've got there safe because she lives with us. I said, no. I said, I didn't do that when you didn't live with us. I'm not going to start now, but parents worry. You never stop being a parent. But she said, ring every five weeks. I was like, oh, what's that all about? So, you know, we did, we rang, we rang. And we came home from our travels around the world and 
knocked on the door of our parents' home and we didn't tell them when we were coming back and they were actually in Shropshire. So we got on the phone and they drove back really fast. We were sat on the doorstep like a couple of bums with a surfboard and a rucksack. And they got home in record time, you know, and my father got out of the car and I was like, who's that man? I almost didn't recognise him. He had cancer. 49 years old. And I didn't know he had cancer. I just looked at him and I thought, there's something wrong with him. And the doctors had given him at that stage about three more months to live. And praise God, he lived three more years. He lived six weeks after the birth of my eldest daughter. But I said to him, why didn't you, why didn't you tell me we would have come home? He said, son, I, I always wanted to travel. You know I always wanted to travel, and he did. He said, no, I wanted you to travel. He said, no, I could enjoy hearing about your travels because I'm never going to get to do it. You know, he was counting on his retirement. He was 52 years old when he died. My friends, can I say to you tonight, we've got a lot of young people in here tonight, but none of us know except the Lord how long we have. If our heart is wrong, our heart will keep planning for something at some future date. And the Lord may say, you're not going to make it. And friends, when we stand before the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says to you, see that pile of cash you've left back in your bank account? What are you going to do with it now? So, well, you know, I was, once I'd got through this, that, and the other, I was going to give it to missions, and I was going to give it to the church, and I was going to do this. Friends, we don't have as much time as we think that we have. But we have eternity to experience the rewards of our Lord for what we do with what he's given us while we're here. And friends, I'm not going to try and guilt trip you and I'm not going to make an appeal and I'm going to say, so you must give to me what I'm saying to you. If you can get your heart wrapped around this thing, when you think you haven't got enough, you have. When you think you can't do any more for world evangelism, you can. Because it's not only about your money, it's about your time and it's about your talent. You see, I don't know what you place your value on. I place my greatest value on time. There is never enough of it. See, for me to give money, I don't mean it's easy because I have money. I don't have a problem giving money because I know what the Lord has done so many times. But you know, when somebody asks me for my time, my natural reaction is, I haven't got any. And I'm like, next week, next year, when the kids are growing up, I'm going to have all the time. No, God deals with me about time because I can't give it after I'm dead. It's about the heart. The Lord dealt with them about their heart and said, go you into all the world and preach the gospel. God dealt with this fool about his heart. His heart was for himself. He forgot his neighbour. His heart was for his goods. He forgot that God had given them to him. His heart was providing for his body. He forgot about souls. His heart was counting on time that he didn't have because he'd forgotten about eternity. Now, now can I just say this in a very swift conclusion? I appreciate your patience tonight. You may say to me tonight, and I pray that you do genuinely because I have an answer for you from the word of God. Brother Stuart, I'd like to give more of my life to the Lord in missions. Maybe some people in here may go to the mission field. I hope that you do, wherever that mission field is. I know a man serving in Ireland took early redundancy at 50, went out and started labouring the church. You're never too old. 
and you're never too young. And you might say to me, I want to know more. I want to do that more. I want to give more. You say, I want to give more to the Lord's work. But, but, but how can I do it? Do you remember that quote from Jimmy Elliott, the missionary to the Orca Indians? It's well versed. said, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain, that which he cannot lose. And you say, well, how, how can I do that? Can I draw your attention to Luke chapter 12, verse 34? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So I, I want to have a heart for missions. Give more. On the word of God, you'll have a heart for missions if you give more money. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You treasure your time like I do. Do you want to have a heart to serve the Lord? Serve more. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You say, I've gone really cold for the Lord and I've gone cold for missions and we've been through these things for for so long, I don't know what to do. Your heart's back on you. Give more, serve more, be more for it because the Bible says there will your heart be also. Your heart is wherever you've placed it tonight. Your heart's in your body, I hope so, but your heart's in your flesh if you're seeking after the flesh. Your heart's in your bank account, if your money's in your bank account, not in the offering tonight. Or I'm sure there'll be a missions offering at the end or uh, maybe some cards for uh, grace given, faith promise given. Can I I say, uh, it took me a while to get a hold of this because the church that I was saved in wasn't an independent Baptist church and I'd never heard really much about missions and faith promise given. I'm not preaching on that tonight. But do you know what? I, I, I had to challenge myself to do some things that took me out of my comfort zone. Put God to the test because I did find this. Where I put my treasure, then my heart followed after it. I really took an interest in what I'd invested in. If you will. This fool's heart was invested in himself. And when his self was done, he didn't reap any of his earthly rewards and all he reaped was eternal damnation. My friends, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things should be added unto you. Don't worry for what you need. God will not give you a stone. Be concerned to put your heart around mobilizing permissions. God has something that each and every one of you can do or can give so that you will make a difference in this matter of evangelizing a lost and dying world. I don't know what it is, but if you put your heart into it, God will reveal it unto you. And I pray that he does. My friends, let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, I do thank you, Lord, for this opportunity tonight to speak of a heart, our hearts, Father, we want to make our hearts available to Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that I've spoken the words you would have me speak tonight. Lord, if I've gone beyond it, strike it from the record of the hearing of these dear people here tonight. Our Father, please bless them for their patience as they come from long days, Lord, and I've laboured. But our Father, I just pray that something that's come from your word tonight will make a difference in world missions tonight will make a difference in warden missions tonight. But God, it will make a difference. 
Father, I pray you'd bless these faithful people in this church. Lord, they have difficult lives. They have their own difficult mission field. And, Lord, they're still faithful to support those who've gone overseas as well. And, Father, I pray you'd open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on them. But our Heavenly Father, help us all with our hearts tonight. We can grow stale, we can grow cold. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do a bit of heart surgery tonight. Give us a little reviving, a little revving up that we need. Father, strum the throttle so the engine of the heart will go. Father, we thank you, we give you all the praise. All the glory, all the honour, if you would use us, poor few weak vessels, to reach a lost and dying world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>